Well, good morning, Stafford Baptist Church and visitors. It is good to gather with you again this morning to worship our Savior. My name is Kelton. I have the privilege of serving here uh, as one of the pastors of Stafford Baptist Church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'd, I'd invite you to, to hang around after service so I can have a chance to greet you afterwards. We continue in our worship this morning now by hearing God's Word proclaimed. Please, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the Bibles provided for you in the pew. We're in Matthew chapter 13. This morning we will be studying the first 23 verses of this chapter. Matthew 13, 1 through 23, hear the word. As we move into a new chapter of our sequential exposition of the gospel according to Matthew, we start this morning a study of Jesus' parables on the kingdom of heaven. Today we're going to consider the first parable and why it is that Jesus teaches in parables. But before we read, please pray with me once more that the scattered seed of God's word would bear fruit in our hearts Our prayer for illumination this morning is borrowed from the Middleburg Liturgy. Please pray with me. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your majesty, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word, now sown among us, may take such deep root that neither the burning heat of persecution cause it to wither, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but that as seed sown on good ground, it may bring forth thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold, as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Under the blood of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, there was a, a what they call auditory illusion that went viral back in 2018. You might have heard about it. It was a, a short audio recording that when played, people heard two different words. Some people swear that the recording is playing the name Yanny, while others hear Laurel. I don't know. Have, have you heard this? I can only hear, hear the word Yanny, but apparently I'm in the minority In a poll of 500,000 people, 53% said they heard Laurel, and only 47 Yanny. So you wonder, how is it that with the same recording, people hear two different things? And it's no surprise that this little recording generated disputes, each group thinking the other group is hard of hearing. Well, apparently, experts have analyzed the sound recording They've confirmed that, yes, both sets of sounds are there in the recording. Some listeners, like myself, can only hear the the higher frequencies of the word yanny, while others hear the lower frequencies of the, the word laurel. One recording, two very different messages. As trivial as that example might be, this is something like the parables of Jesus. Large groups listened to his teaching but heard very different things. One group heard the secrets of the kingdom of heaven and one group did not. One parable, two very different messages. 
In our passage this morning, Jesus began, begins teaching the crowds with parables of the kingdom of heaven. And in private, to his disciples later, he tells them why it is that he teaches in parables. Let's start this morning with our, our big idea. The one sentence summary of this passage is this. Bear fruit in the kingdom by understanding the teaching of its king. Bear fruit in the kingdom by understanding the teaching of its king. You know, sometimes you're helped to understand the big idea of a passage by seeing what words are repeated. Well, five times Jesus today uses the word understand. And that understanding leads to bearing fruit or not bearing fruit. This is a natural question after the last few chapters in the Gospel according to Matthew where it became apparent that some people were not understanding Jesus. Here he begins to explain why. And the exhortation for us today as we listen to the teaching of Jesus is to hear and understand and bear fruit. Bear fruit in the kingdom by understanding the teaching of its king. Our passage, for many of you, will be a familiar one, but to preserve something of the literary suspense, we won't read it all at once. We'll read it in in three parts that go along with our our three points this morning. First, the story of seeds and soils, that in verses 1 through 9, the story of seeds and soils. Second, the purpose of perplexing parables, that in 10 through 17, the purpose of perplexing parables. And finally, the urgency of of understanding that in 18 through 23 the urgency of understanding the story of seeds and soils the purpose of perplexing parables and finding the urgency of understanding let's start this morning by reading from god's word the parable the story of seeds and soils read with me matthew 13 verses 1 through 9 that same day jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The word of the Lord. Amen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, Matthew records for us that Jesus told the crowds many things in parables, starting here with this first parable, the parable of four soils. He will eventually tell us what it means, but but not yet, and, and only in private to his disciples. So before we get there, let's just consider the scene and the details of this parable. Look back with me at, at verse 1. When we last left Jesus in chapter 12, he was in a house with his mother and brothers asking to speak to him. Look back at 12.46. Well, Matthew places these parables on that same day. In verse 1, that same day Jesus leaves the house and goes to sit by the sea. 
It's likely that Jesus is in Capernaum, his, his hometown. It's a, a fishing village right on the, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds are, are so great that he uses a boat as a pulpit, drawn away from the shore a little bit. Sound easily travels over water, it's wide and open, so he has his own natural amphitheater here. He is now teaching, it says, in, in not just his own disciples, but, but anyone who cares to gather and listen. We'll remember what Jesus said about the crowds back in chapter 12, verse 39. He called the whole generation evil and adulterous. Well, this whole chapter to the crowds will have eight parables in total. Some here from the boat, but then back in verse 36, he goes back to the house. Parables are, are simple stories where the meaning is, is not on the surface. They're, they're somewhat cryptic. They're not full-on allegory where every detail represents something else. But, but usually they teach one main lesson. And these eight in this chapter are all about the kingdom of heaven. Well, you might have noticed as we read it, he doesn't mention the kingdom of heaven explicitly in this first parable. It's a topic, but it's, it's concealed. Well, he, he begins with this story of the seeds and soils. It's, it's a relatable story in their agrarian society. We, we won't get into the meaning yet, but, but let's get the facts in front of us. Look at, at verse 3. A sower went out to sow. It's most likely wheat or barley, and it, it falls wherever it's scattered. First, he says, some fall on the path. Walking paths went right through the fields, and naturally the, the soil there would be more compacted, harder, not good for seeds. In fact, birds would be easy, it'd be easy for birds to, to spot the seeds on the ground, on the path, so these seeds, he says, are immediately devoured by the birds. Well, he goes on in, in verse 5 to describe more seeds, another soil. They, they fall on, he says, rocky ground. In Galilee, in this region, the, the bedrock was close to the surface. There's little depth of soil. The seeds have life. It, it looks promising. But he says it's short-lived. After the rainy season, the, the dry heat of the sun kills what promise they had. They wither. So in verse 7, we have our third soil. These seeds, he says, fall among thorn. Maybe as the sower sows, both the wheat and the thorns are just seeds, not yet visible to the sower. But in time, they both sprout and the thorns compete for the soil and sun, so the wheat is, is choked. The problem here isn't really with the soil, but, but what else occupies the soil? There, there's something of a progression with these first three soils. The first seed never starts. The second starts but doesn't survive. The third survives but, but is never fruitful. Well, finally, in verse 8, we have the fourth soil. Some, hopefully most, of the seeds fall on good soil. It grows, and he says, is fruitful. It produces 30, 60, or, or 100-fold. Depending on the measure, is it per bushel or, or per seed? It, it means a variety of productivity. Anywhere from the low side of normal to, to a very good harvest. And that's that.
He who has ears, let him hear. I know you're probably familiar with what all this means, but, but forget that for a moment. Here we just have a story of a man sowing seeds with a, a variety of yields, with no even mention of the kingdom of heaven. He who has ears, let him hear. Do you hear? Do you understand? Because that's really the pertinent question. Jesus teaches in parables like these to reveal the kingdom to those who have ears to hear, but to hide it from those who are spiritually deaf. Our fruitfulness in the kingdom of heaven is tied to our understanding of God's teaching. An understanding of His teaching first comes from receiving the secrets of the kingdom. So before explaining the meaning of this parable in private, Jesus answers His disciples' questions. Why parables? Why not spell things out? Let's read our next section in verses 10 through 17 and our second point, the purpose of perplexing parables. Read with me Matthew 13, starting in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. The word of the Lord. Well, we see the disciples now have a, have a question for Jesus. But it's not about the meaning of the parable. It's, it's more fundamental. Why parables at all? The, the parallel of this passage in, in Mark 4.10 makes it clear that, that this is a private conversation between Jesus, the twelve, and, and a few select other disciples. So all the way through the rest of our passage in, in verse 23, he's, he's no longer talking to the whole crowd, but, but those who are his committed students, his, his disciples. Notice in their question, why do you speak to them in parables? Referring to the crowds, not, not to us, but, but to them. What is the purpose of these perplexing parables? Well, Jesus answers starting in verse 11, and he starts first by describing what his disciples have and what the crowds don't have. Look again with me at, at verse 11. He says to them, this private group of his disciples, that they have the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They have the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But, but notice, though, it's because to you it has been given to know. To you it has been given this is the divine passive. It doesn't say who gave it, but it's assumed that it's from God. 
It's as Jesus prayed in, in Matthew 11. Do you recall this? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. To some it is hidden, and to some it is revealed, and this is the gracious will of the Father in heaven. The disciples have the secrets because God has given it to them. You know, when we think of secrets, we often think of things we're trusted to keep private, like the the Christmas presents you've bought. Walker has been very excited to buy gifts for her family. Last night, when she got home from shopping, I asked her what she had gotten me, but she was ready. She couldn't tell me because it was a secret. Well, that's not what secret means here. He is talking about a mystery, what comes by divine revelation, not by natural insight. It's perfectly understandable. It's not to be hidden by those who know it. But it can only be known by those to whom it has been revealed by God. God has revealed it to them. But the crowds, he says, don't have it. It hasn't been given to them. To them, he says, it has not been given. God has hidden it. In verse 12, it's, it's a little proverb. In context, it means that those with the secret will get more. They'll get more understanding from the teaching. Once you've started down the path of spiritual enlightenment from God, blessings multiply. But without the secret, without this key of knowledge, it might be, as we say, fruitless. Jesus makes it more explicit in verse 13. Of what the crowds do not have. They don't see. They don't hear. They don't understand. He says, that's why I speak to them in parables. I I don't know about you, but but that doesn't seem to me like much of an answer. It, It might be the opposite, in fact, of what you'd expect. Well, if they don't have understanding, why not speak clearly? You know, make it plain. Help them understand. Walk them through it. Why not? Well, first of all, in verse 14, Jesus says this was to fulfill prophecy. We've, we've gotten used to Matthew telling us about how Jesus fulfills prophecy, but here Jesus himself goes to the Old Testament to explain his ministry. You know, I've, I've lost count how many times in Matthew we've turned to the Old Testament to help us understand Jesus' ministry. Here, Jesus quotes from Isaiah Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The calling of the prophet Isaiah to go to the people of Israel. Right before this passage in in verse 8, God asks Isaiah, "Whom, whom shall I send? And Isaiah volunteers. And now Jesus quotes what Isaiah is commissioned to go and say here. Essentially, it's a promise that the people will resist and not understand Isaiah's message. They will reject it. And that's what's happening for Jesus, too. And the the root of it is there in, in verse 15. It says, For this people's heart has grown dull. They have dull hearts, which leads to deaf ears and blind eyes. 
Their lack of spiritual perception is rooted in their hard hearts. But that's not true for his disciples. Right? In verses 16 and 17, he blesses them because they do hear, because they do see. He says that they are experiencing what what many men have longed to experience before them. To hear and see the ministry of the Messiah. The anointed one to come. Many knew this day would come. The day of fulfillment of, of Jesus fulfilling the promises. And they longed to see it. His disciples have the supreme privilege of, of seeing and hearing. You know, church, this is a privilege that we get to enjoy too. We are privileged to live after the time of fulfillment, to have right here eyewitness testimony of God made flesh. You know, in this Advent season, we spend time remembering what it was like to wait for the birth of Jesus. But we don't only wait for the birth of Jesus, we, we also today wait for future fulfillment. Jesus has promised to come again. You know, we still long to see Jesus with our eyes and and hear Him with our ears for Jesus to appear again at the end of time to see Him as He is. That day will be marked with the sound of the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and a voice from heaven, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. We look forward to experiencing this blessing, the blessing of the disciples for ourselves. There is a day coming when we will say, blessed are our eyes for they see. Blessed are our ears for they hear. Lord, come soon. For now, we have to settle for the vicarious blessing of hearing the eyewitness testimony of Jesus in this revelation from God in His Word? Do you hear? So so what do you make of Jesus' answer here? Why does He speak in perplexing parables? It's, It's contrary to what we'd expect. His revelatory method, speaking in parables, is meant to test and expose the spiritual wakefulness and earnestness of the hearers. To those who were given the secrets, those who were listening in order to truly hear, would hear. But the spiritually dull and distracted won't hear. Those who would not pay attention would expose what is in their hearts, their spiritual dullness. And a dullness that has serious consequences. Missing the kingdom of God. So the purpose of his teaching in parables is to to teach with a dividing line. People will respond to the parables according to their capacity. Some with perception and some with dullness. And this from God. So what is the purpose of perplexing parables? Well, to with the same words expose understanding in some and in uncertainty in others. Some will hear yanny and others laurel. And it exposes not a difference in the ear fundamentally, but in the heart. 
And look with me back at the end of verse 15, the end of the quote from Isaiah. It shows the urgency of our understanding. This isn't knowledge for knowledge's sake. No, he says this understanding from the heart leads to turning, he says, and healing. Turning from sin to Christ in repentance and faith. Healing in the the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. Nothing is more urgent than this understanding. That's the point that Jesus makes clear in our final verses, his explanation of the meaning of the parable. Let's read verses 18 through 23 and consider our third point, the urgency of understanding. The urgency of understanding. Read with you Matthew 13, starting in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Amen. The first thing I want you to notice in Jesus' explanation of the parable is the importance of understanding. In in verse 19, he introduces the one who hears, but does not, he says, does not understand. The one who does not have the secrets of the kingdom of heaven revealed by God. But look down at, at verse 23, the antithesis. Here we have one who hears, he says, and understands it. The, the implication is that the, the other two soils in between who bear no fruit also do not understand. Really, even though there are four soils, there are only two outcomes. To hear and not understand and not bear fruit. Or to hear and understand and bear fruit. It's only one or the other. Two groups. But that first group, those who, who hear and do not understand have a variety of of circumstances, right? They don't all look the same. So let's start at the top in in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. First, in, in verse 19, he says, The seed is the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom. It's the message that Jesus has been proclaiming, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that that he is its kingdom. That the king of this kingdom is granting clemency to rebels of his rule. By repentance and and faith. This is the same message that his apostles would continue to scatter. His designated messengers. They they call it the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Jesus' messenger Peter called it an imperishable seed. A message that will never expire. Living and active by which we are born again. His messenger Paul says that he is not ashamed of this seed because it is God's power for salvation to all. 
Jesus is talking about the message of God as holy man, as sinful, and himself as a savior. And this message, the, the seed that is scattered, is not something that we arrive at on our own. We need to receive it. It needs to be revealed to us by God. You know, there are, are some truths that we humans are very good at discovering on our own. Right? Every culture has arrived at the, the fundamentals of mathematics on their own. No divine help necessary. But no culture can intuit the truths of this message. They must be revealed by God. The, the Bible is not a collection of religious musings. No, it is the revealed message from God. And this message must be proclaimed. Have, have you heard the popular phrase, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words? Well, I, I get the sentiment, but I think it's misleading. The gospel, by definition, is good news. In order for people to hear news, it is always necessary to use words. But hearing is not enough. What matters is what happens next. All the soils receive the seed, they hear it, but it only proves fruitful for one. The first seed on the path eaten by birds is what is snatched away by Satan, he says in verse 19. Some hearts are like hardened paths, and the truth simply does not penetrate. Before it does anything, the devil snatches it away. Well, when you think about how this works out in real life, Satan has a lot of ways of snatching. Maybe, like with Eve, he suggests that God's word is not to be trusted. Did he really say Obviously, any message that isn't considered to be trustworthy won't bear much fruit in our life. But, but I think there are even more simple ways that Satan can snatch the word from hearts. One of the most common is simple inattention. Sure, Jesus says, sound waves vibrate their eardrums, the, the word is heard, but it's in one ear and out the other. Maybe it's staying up late on Saturday night so you can't focus during the sermon. Maybe it's a thousand other concerns, anxieties, other interests. Whatever it is, the message doesn't go any deeper. In one ear, out the other. How's your attention, brother, sister? Are you careful to be rested and attentive to hear God's word? Are there things that you can do to make sure that you and, and your family are ready as ready as they can be for this most important time of the week. You know, this is part of the reason why we begin our services with a moment of silence, as a time to bring focus, to remember why we're here, so that we can hear. This is also why we put space in our congregational guide to worship for, for notes. Some people listen better when they're taking notes. But you can also use it as a place to, to jot down things that come to mind during our service. Put those distracting thoughts down on paper and, and return to them later. They'll be there. For now, focus on God's Word. Give it your best attention. Don't let the devil snatch it away. But even as I apply this 
to Christians, Jesus is particularly talking about those who aren't Christian. That Satan is at work stealing the gospel away from hearts that do hear the gospel to keep them from being saved. It's when we consider this that we have to remember that that Jesus has power over the strong man. He has authority over Satan. With Christ as king, it is not a, a fool's errand to tell other people the gospel. Yes, Satan might be devouring those seeds, but when we scatter... We can pray that that God would protect the seed. Even though we don't have the power, Jesus does. So saints, pray for God to protect the seed of God's word, not only in your heart, but the hearts to all that you would proclaim it. He has that power. Well, he goes on to describe in verse 20 the the second soil, the, the rocky ground. This group hears and, and responds. It has time. It's not snatched away by Satan. They, they are evidently attentive and enthusiastic. They receive this message, he says, with joy. But time exposes what is not immediately visible. That they have no depth of root below ground. When difficult circumstances come, what Jesus describes as tribulation and persecution on account of the word, they fall away. You know, this this category, this second group and the next, both appear to be disciples. They respond positively to the message, and even for some time. Jesus doesn't say how long before the trials show up. It could be years. Is that a category for you? That people can profess faith in Christ but not have its substance for there to be nothing below the surface? It's sobering to think about. That we'll be surprised in heaven to find some people aren't there that we thought would be there. Yes, there are false professors. And one of the things that exposes them before we get to heaven, he says, is persecution and trials. You know, to be a member of this church, you have to give testimony to how you were saved. The Bible teaches that that anyone is welcome to attend our services here, but to be a member of this church, of Christ's body, you must demonstrate that you believe. Obviously, our ability to assess faith is limited. We'll get it wrong sometimes. But, But one of the best ways that we can assess faith is to ask, how has it been tested? What did your faith do under the scorching sun? When tribulations and persecutions have come, how have that proved the tested genuineness of your faith? That's part of the reason, Christian, that that God allows difficulties in your life to show you and others that your faith is genuine. It is to give us increasing assurance and with assurance, joy. Yes, trials are a path to deeper and settled joy. But the same trials that prove genuine faith also expose fraudulent faith. Not everything that looks like faith is faith. It dies with time and heat. Take the crowds that follow Jesus with some eagerness, it seems. They will be the same crowds that one day call for Jesus' Crucifixion. 
Brothers and sisters, our church is not interested in drawing a crowd. It's, it's easy to draw crowds. It's easy to grow weeds. But it takes years and years to grow oaks. And you only get a few. But what happens when the trials come? Those oaks stand every storm. They last. We are interested here in slow and genuine growth, rooted in true understanding. As good as numerical growth is, as much as we desire to see it, it is often rooted in this kind of soil, shallow and lost in time. The growth that isn't burned up is the one that doesn't immediately spring up. In other words, we want a a crockpot church, not a microwave church. Church, endure every trial with joy knowing that testing produces steadfastness. Now Jesus goes on in verse 22 to explain our third soil. These also receive the word like the second they grow, but instead of dying in difficulty, these choke in prosperity. The thorns, he explains, are the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. There in verse 22. It's not just suffering that exposes fraudulent faith, but but affluence as well. These are people who hear the word and respond positively, but are consumed with other interests, even with good things, family, money, hobbies, work, possessions, philanthropy, you name it. Whatever it is, it is attention on the things of this world and what it offers rather than the kingdom of the world to come. Attention to worldly things snuffs out spiritual life. Again, this this third soil appears to have spiritual life. So I, I wonder, Christian, what is crowding out in your heart spiritual life? What is growing like thorns in your life? True and fruitful devotion to Jesus and His kingdom often means saying no to good things in order to say yes to ultimate things. To deny self to find true life. You know, I was confronted yesterday with a Christmas ad that told me to buy their product. And if I did, I would find Mary, find joy, find peace. No. Friends, the things of this world will not bring you peace and joy. There might be no season where the world around us is more intent on crowding out the seed with the cares of this world, with the deceitfulness of riches, promises. You will find joy, peace, and merit if you just buy this thing. The Christmas season can become some of the busiest days of our year with shopping, time with family, cooking, travel, and more, all good things. But good things can choke out ultimate things. The Word, church. Jesus tells us to be on guard in Luke twelve fifteen. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Something advertisers would never want you to hear. 
What can you be doing this season to make sure that the busyness doesn't crowd out the Word? What, what can you do to focus on the real celebration of this season? The advent of Christ, God with us, born to save us. Are there traditions that you can begin or return to that help you meditate on the Word rather than inviting in more of the cares of this world? Remember, Jesus says, riches are deceitful. They don't tell you up front what they're about. They hide the price tag. They promise and do not deliver that things on their own will never satisfy. So church, do not be deceived. The world is passing away. It is rather those who do the will of God that abide forever. And if we want to abide like that, we need a fourth soil that abides in fruit. This good soil, he says, is the heart that hears and understands the word and therefore bears fruit in verse 23. To truly hear is to understand and to truly understand is to bear fruit. You know, belief in the message of this kingdom is not mere mental assent. Yes, that's true. I believe it. No, it it changes us. It bears fruit. What might this fruit look like? Well, you might remember Matthew 11.33. Fruit there was good words overflowing from a good heart. Fruit is what comes up out of us because the word is growing. It's prayer. It's worship. It's humility. It's devotion to Christ and his people. It's good works. It's obedience. It's all the virtuous fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's all the ways our lives are transformed into the image of the sower, Jesus Christ. What harvest is coming from your hearing, Christian? What good works are growing up out of your heart in response to the productivity of the word? To to switch plant metaphors, if I shake your tree, what will fall to the ground? Is it showing that you are fertile soil or hard, rocky, crowded soil? It won't look the same for everyone. Some bear more fruit than others, some 30 all the way to a hundredfold, but, but all do bear fruit. To hear is to understand, is to bear fruit. Seriously, take, take a moment to consider. In the last year, how have you grown? How have you borne fruit as a Christian? The, the end of the year is a, a wonderful time to reflect on all the ways God has been faithful to us and consider our priorities for the year ahead. Again, the goal is slow and sturdy growth. Sometimes Christians go through seasons of pruning. Jesus said every branch that that bears fruit, the Father prunes that it might bear more fruit. Don't be discouraged if it's been a, a hard season. We all go through times of drought. But take the big picture into view. How are you more conformed to the image of the Savior this year Compared to last year. Consider and be encouraged. 
And as you think of next year, you can prepare by remembering what we read in in Psalm 1 of the one who meditates on God's word day and night. Psalm 1.3 says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Church, you can expect spiritual prosperity by planting yourself by streams of water, by meditating on it day and night. So if you haven't already, I'd encourage you to take time this week to decide how you'll have a habit of meditating on the Bible in 2022. You know, saints, one thing Jesus does not address, how did that good soil get good? How how does hard, rocky, thorny soil become fertile, rich, soft soil? In, In other words, how do hearts change? It's just a parable. It doesn't teach everything. But let's conclude today with Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. How hearts are made good. God promises, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes And be careful to obey my rules. Church, the promise of Ezekiel 36.26 is that it is God's gracious work to take hearts of stone and give hearts of flesh. And that He, by His Spirit, causes us to bear fruit. Walking in His statutes, careful to obey His rules. Stafford Baptist, the good news of the Bible is not that you must go Clean up your heart. On your own power, tear up the soil, root out the rocks, pull out the thorns. No, this He does for you. We, by nature, have hard, impenitent hearts, but Jesus died to secure the blessings of this promise. It's as we sang earlier. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. No more let sin or sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. On the cross, Jesus bore the wrath that we deserve for our sins so that we might receive the blessings that He deserves. In Him we have new life with a a new heart of good soil, obedient by the Spirit as a gift. And if you've received this gift, go and bear fruit. Not to be loved, but because you are. And if you find this morning that you have hard soil, hear and receive from Jesus. This He gives to you by faith as a gift. Let's pray. O Father, we long for the secrets of the kingdom of heaven to be revealed to us by you. Lord, we praise you that this we can receive simply by coming to you in faith. Lord, that you give our hearts new life, soft, fertile soil to hear, to believe, and to bear fruit. So Lord, we pray this morning as we hear the word of Christ, the gospel of our salvation, that it would bear fruit in our lives. Thirty-fold, sixty-fold, and a hundred-fold by your power. 
Lord, that we would not leave this place unchanged. Lord, that we would not forget what we have heard. But Lord, that it would do its work in our heart. That you would accomplish the purpose for what you have sent it. Lord, that we would bear fruit to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.